Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to mini episode 296 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from July the 1st, 2023. And story number one comes from Kelly. I have lived all 25 years of my life in a small wooded town, one of many in our district. Ours is made up of six towns and all of them have elementary schools. I'm not sure if I'm the only one. However, I have always thought that schools at night are creepy AF. My mother has been a teacher at one of the schools here for almost 30 years and I am telling you I will not be in any school alone. Just darn spooky. Anyway, her school is not the one I am writing about. My soon-to-be mother-in-law also works at an elementary school in our district. I've helped her from time to time with some events and fundraisers. The school in question has a dark and mysterious secret that few know about. Buckle yourself in, kids. The story goes a little boy died on the school property, or at least where the original spot was. I have heard that he was on the swing and choked on gum. I'm not sure if this is the God's honest truth. All I'm doing is telling you what I heard. The only truth to it is that a little boy passed away on the grounds and that there is usually a swing swinging by itself, even when the wind isn't blowing. The little boy's name was David. He was very sweet and loved to play and be silly. It has been also said when the district moved the school's location, there was a seance done per his mother's request. So they say she wanted him to be able to play forever. Now to the fun stuff. I have heard two first-hand accounts of this haunting or residual energy. One being a second-grade teacher, Miss G. She is a good family friend whom I think would never kid or make this up. As one may know, teachers often work during the summer fixing their room and getting it ready for the fall. For Miss G, this was just another day, nearing the end of the summer. She was alone in her classroom redecorating when she realised she needed to make more photocopies. One important item to this story is this school is two floors, the second floor being more active by David's presence. Miss G walked down to the copier and when she finished she headed back towards her classroom at the opposite end of the long hallway. Just as she was halfway about in front of the teacher's room door, Miss G heard what she could only describe as one child running down the hall towards her. The second floor has motion lights in the hallway. Because Miss G just walked through the hall they were already on. A few seconds later, the motion lights turned off one by one as she ran as fast as she could to her room, 
while being chased by a child's running footsteps. Miss G left what she was doing as it was very near the end of the day and she was not about to be any more scared by David. All of what just happened in a matter of minutes was enough for one day. In the following weeks, she spoke to the principal of this school to check the upstairs cameras to see what the fuck happened that day when she was alone. The playback, one of very many caught of David, showed her running from an orb of light. Miss G is no longer a teacher at this school. She is a full-time baker in our town and also a devoted mother. I would like to think she just couldn't stand teaching anymore and was burnt out after her years of teaching. However, one can only assume that maybe David scared her off. The second account is the janitors. All of them have refused to work at night due to the fact that David is very mischievous. That being said, they all come into electrical cords out and about and all messed up. Like if there was an event at the school that needed them out. David will somehow make it a mess for them in the morning. Now comes my story, the third account. That's right, I have felt David's presence. I was with my mother-in-law helping with a fundraiser. She asked me to run to her classroom to fetch something. As I walked down the hall, I heard a rumble from upstairs. After almost shitting my pants because this was a nighttime fundraiser, I realised there were a few teachers upstairs. A few moments later, they all came down. I did, however, ask them, is everyone downstairs now? To which they responded yes. I continued on with the endless tasks she had given me that night. One task asking me to run upstairs to the teacher's room. I was shook as I had just heard Miss G's story that night. At first I was like, yeah, no thanks. But I had to put my big girl pants on given this was an interaction with my very new mother-in-law. As I started to open the stairwell door... I heard walking footsteps coming from the second floor. Now remember, nobody is up there anymore. I had confirmed. Now I was scared shitless. I continued to run up the stairs in an attempt to do the task as quickly as possible. Now I must warn you that I am prone to tripping. However, what happened next felt so incredibly real it cannot go unsaid. As I was running up the stairs, I tripped, only it wasn't from my doing. After I was up about the third or fourth step, I felt a tug on my right ankle. That, along with a coldness I felt, I assumed it was David toying with me. Out of all the stories I have heard, the biggest thing to know about David is that he is a trickster and loves to play games. I have been back to this school since. However, that has been the only time I have felt him near. Let me tell you, even an experience so small can have a very large impact. Honestly, I would love to go back to the school with investigators as I feel as though David feels alone and just wants to play. It's not our fault we can't see or talk to him. I think he is just a scared little boy who is constantly confused that no adults can see him. Having said that, I bet the students at the school can see him. Who knows? They might even play with him and we just don't notice it. It has been said that children can see the dead. So Kelly, this is going to be a slight tangent, but I do promise it is relevant to your story. I went to see Uncanny Live, the podcast live. And in the podcast, they covered two particularly 
horrifying and harrowing paranormal cases, right? And they were both very brilliant cases and really interesting and compelling. And there was a conversation, I'm not going to say what happened in the case, but there was a conversation about why a loved one, after they had passed away, would do things that were destructive to the house. So why are they breaking things? Why are they showing themselves really angrily to children in the house, whatever it is. And I thought it was a really interesting question, right? Because you would think that if a loved one wants to come back and make themselves known to the living, that they would do it in a loving way, in a caring way, in a kind way. But then, but then the answer to that was, and I think it was Evelyn Hollow who said, imagine the frustration that that loved one that has passed away would feel first of all if they died before their time if they don't really if they haven't registered that they're dead if they don't know that they're dead if they're trying to get attention it may be that they will end up doing things that are mischievous or in some cases downright dangerous in order to get the attention that they want and need from the living so for example like David tugging on Kelly's ankle when you're running up the stairs like that's that's dangerous. You know what I mean? That That's something that could possibly harm somebody falling down the stairs. But also this is a child trying to get attention. And I do agree with you, Kelly, that schools are terrifying places after the lights go out, when it's dark and nobody's there. This place that is in the daytime bustling with life and joy and laughter and children running around suddenly feels somehow even more empty than somewhere else because of the juxtaposition of it going from being so full of life to being completely deserted. And I can understand why a child would hang around in the school at which they died or even hang around in school in general after they'd passed away. School is such an integral part of a child's life. They go there five days a week generally for most of the day, you know, from nine to three, nine to four, eight to three, eight to four, whatever it is, They form their friendships. They sort of love and cry and fall out and all of those things all happen in school. And it makes sense that a child would hang around there. When I tell you the fear that I would have felt if I was in Miss G's position, where she felt and heard a child running down the corridor after her, I'd be gone legging it as well. And then to physically see her being chased by an orb on the cameras, that's pretty compelling. And story number two comes from Katie. This past winter, my best friend and I were visiting an old military fort here in the United States. While walking around and looking at the courtyard, munition magazine, bastions, bakery, blacksmith shop, barracks and officers' quarters, I decided to use the voice memo recorder on my phone to ask questions of anything that might be there. In total, I made three short recordings and completely forgot about them. A few weeks after returning home, I remembered the recordings. The first two produced nothing, no sounds of note nor voices. However, the last recording was different. My friend had commented how nice the officers' quarters were. So I asked, My best friend likes your room. What do you think of it? I got a quiet, weak, but clear response of, It sounded nothing like the voices of the other fort guests my recordings had picked up. The former officer, perhaps, responding? What did I learn from this possible paranormal encounter? Ghostly men are just as irritating as the live ones. 
That last line entertained me no end, Katie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love a good EVP as as in, you know, in terms of paranormal evidence, I often think that EVPs are really interesting. Not when it's like just, you know, random and then somebody says, wow, it sounds like they said this and it really doesn't sound like they said anything at all. But sometimes, you know, some of the best evidence has been that I've listened to has been EVPs. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And story number three comes from Kathy. Despite what I'm about to tell you, I would describe myself as being mostly sceptical about the paranormal or supernatural, whatever people want to call it. However, I'm not totally closed-minded or cynical. When people claim to have been visited by a deceased loved one or have received some kind of sign, usually a random white feather, although I don't necessarily believe in it myself, I am loath to rationalise it away if it brings them some comfort and peace of mind. Saying that over the years, I have had a number of experiences, most of which I feel I can explain away, but there are one or two that have left me a little bemused. I haven't recounted every incident here. Maybe I can tell you about them another time, but these are the ones that left a lasting impression. I'm interested to know what you make of it all. The first part of my story starts when I was 17 years old and living with my family in the northwest of England in the mid-1980s. I was in sixth form at school, but was at that age where going to parties and having fun with my mates seemed far more appealing than studying for A-levels. At one drunken get-together at a friend's house, someone suggested doing a seance with a Ouija board. Now, I may well be a sceptic, but I'm not too keen on messing about with Ouija boards and I wasn't then, so I opted out of taking part and just observed instead. Nothing of note really happened during the seance, and I only mentioned it because of what happened over the next three nights. But the Ouija board was quickly discarded in favour of dancing and more drinks. I eventually got home that night just over the edge of Tipsy and wobbled to my bedroom. Now just to set the scene, I come from a big family and as the only girl with five brothers, I had my own bedroom. It was a typical teenage girl's room, full of clothes, random bits and bobs, flat pack furniture and lots of pictures and posters on the walls. My bed was in the middle of the room, with the headboard pressed up against the wall to the right of the door as you walked in. So there was space around three sides of my bed, and there was a window facing the door. There was also a small frosted glass window above my bedroom door, and when the whole light was on, it would throw a shaft of muted light down into my room. So here I was, collapsed into my bed, and after a good few hours sleep, I woke up, 
sensing there was a disturbance in my room. On opening my eyes, I saw that the whole light was on and the shaft of light was piercing the darkness. I checked the time and it was 4.10am. I remember the exact time for reasons that will become clear later. With the whole light being on, I expected to hear one of my parents or brothers mooching about, nipping down to the loo or getting a drink, but the house was in complete silence. I waited a few minutes for any sound and sat up in my bed ready to go and switch the light off, assuming it had been left on by mistake, when a movement to the right caught my eye. I turned my head to the wall next to my window and in the dreary light, I could make out what looked like the figure of a man with his back to me. My initial thought was that it was one of my brothers, but as my eyes became accustomed to the gloom, I could see that he was almost naked, except for what looked like a loincloth covering his modesty. He was also very scrawny, with brown, shoulder-length, straggly hair, and although he was turned away from me, I felt that he had a beard. If seeing a strange man in my room wasn't shocking enough, the weirdest thing was that he appeared to be stuck to the wall. Now, the only way I can describe this is if you think how Spider-Man climbs walls. Well, this is how it looked. His feet and hands were clinging to the wall and he seemed to be hanging off it slightly. My second thought was that I must be dreaming. I was and still am a vivid dreamer, often talking in my sleep and on occasion even sleepwalking. I remember rubbing my eyes, shaking my head and glancing back at the clock, which still showed 4.10am. This was pre-mobile phone days, so I had a white digital alarm clock with bright red numbers showing the time. I looked over to my right again and the figure was still clinging to the wall, but had edged slightly closer to me. Although I felt mildly alarmed, I didn't feel as scared as I should have done having a strange, almost naked man climbing my bedroom walls in the early hours of the morning. Whilst my brain was still trying to make sense of what I was seeing, the whole light went out and my room was plunged back into darkness. Still feeling a bit groggy from the alcohol consumed earlier, I lay back down and turned my back to the figure. The alarm clock was in my direct line of sight and still displayed 4.10am, which seemed odd, as I was sure at least five minutes had passed. Nevertheless, it wasn't enough to keep me awake and I closed my eyes. When I awoke later on that morning with a slight headache, I thought about what I had seen and put it down to a drunken dream. As I gingerly lifted myself from my bed, I looked to the wall where the man had been. On the section of the wall where I had seen him, my dad had hung a mirror. It was in a wooden frame with a picture of a little girl in an old Victorian dress in the centre. It was typical of the type of presents I would get from my aunties in the 80s. With it being a mirror, my dad had ensured it was well secured to the wall so there was no chance of it falling off. Therefore, it gave me a slight jolt when I saw that it was no longer hanging straight. It was now at a very uneven angle, in danger of smashing to the floor. I walked over to the mirror and straightened it up, slightly reluctant to look into it. However, even at 17, I was inclined to search for a rational explanation and I put it down to me sleepwalking and knocking the mirror myself. For the most part, I put it out of my mind for the rest of the day. I only thought about it briefly when chatting to my best friend on the phone later. We had a good laugh about my dream where Jesus had been climbing my bedroom wall like Spider-Man. But things didn't end there. 
Having had a late one the night before, I went to bed reasonably early that night and read a book for a bit before drifting off to sleep. Then I woke up again in the early hours. This time I can't recall checking the time and the hall light wasn't on, but my room wasn't in complete darkness. The back of our house was close to a main road and the light from the towering street lamps penetrated my bedroom curtains just enough to allow me to see the shadowy outline of my bedroom furniture. But that wasn't all I could see when I looked around the room. What appeared to be two small figures were going through my drawers as though they were looking for something. I couldn't make out if they were children or just small adults, but they were about four foot tall and moved very quickly. My overriding memory is of feeling pissed off rather than scared. I had actually tidied my room earlier and was angry that they were messing it up. I can't remember the exact words, but I said something like, Hey, what do you think you're doing? Leave my stuff alone. I remember them standing still for a moment when I called out, but then they just resumed searching. I can't recall how long it went on for, but at some point I fell back asleep. The next day, I again just thought I'd had another vivid dream, even if it did seem very real. I couldn't resist having a quick look through my drawers, but couldn't tell if they had been touched. I wasn't inclined to fold my clothes. I tended to just stuff them in willy-nilly. However, it was unusual for me to have such vivid dreams two nights in a row and remember them in such detail. It was unusual enough that I mentioned it to my mum, who just laughed it off, saying something like, You and your dreams. My mum was well used to my nocturnal activities. She would often bring up one sleepwalking episode she was fond of embarrassing me with. When I was about 10 years old, I ran into my parents' room in the middle of the night, screaming that I needed a Bible urgently. My mum laughed about this, but I suspect she was actually quite freaked out when it happened. Anyway... Feeling a little foolish, I put the dream to the back of my mind and carried on with my day. I had school the next day, so after completing some last-minute homework and having my usual Sunday night bath, I went to bed. Feeling a bit restless, it took me a while to fall asleep, but eventually I did after reading for a bit. Then, once again, I was woken up in the early hours. The hall light wasn't on, so I couldn't see clearly, but the moment I opened my eyes... I knew this was different to the last two nights. Despite being alarmed, I had not felt threatened by the naked man in the loincloth or the two small people rummaging through my things. But now, I felt a real sense of imminent danger. I looked down to the foot of my bed and saw a tall figure wearing what looked like a deep black cloak slightly looming over me. I couldn't see a face as the hood obscured it but there was an overwhelming feeling that it was glaring at me with utter malevolence. It felt like it genuinely meant me harm and I can honestly say I have never felt as petrified as I did in those few minutes. This did not feel like a dream. It felt very, very real. I closed my eyes tight and managed to squeak out, Go away. To my relief, I then heard the click of the hall light and I opened my eyes. The figure had vanished, and I recognised the comforting sound of my mum shuffling up the stairs in her slippers. Still shaken, I called out for my mum, and she opened my door. The familiar sight of my mum in her pink quilted dressing gown, rollers in her hair and a cuppa in hand, was just what I needed to settle my nerves. 
Feeling silly, I told her that I'd had another nightmare and she sat with me until I fell asleep again. The next day, I still felt shaken by what I had seen but managed to more or less convince myself that it was just a bad dream. But it definitely made me nervous about going to bed for a while. I had never previously experienced three consecutive nights of such realistic dreams that I was able to recall so vividly. Over the years, I learned about various things that could offer some possible explanation, such as sleep paralysis, hypnagogic hallucinations, etc. Therefore, as time went on, I satisfied myself that what I had experienced fitted somewhere within these things. Despite this, I was always reluctant to talk about what I went through, and apart from my immediate family and the odd close friend, I never told anyone. I pushed it all to the back of my mind. That is until 10 years later, when my dad died. I moved away from my parents when I was 23 and spent the next few years renting a house with my best friend. A few other things happened during that time which I won't go into now, but they did cause my best mate to joke that I was haunted, as strange things seemed to happen around me. I just laughed this off until I moved into a house with another friend in early 1995. My best friend was getting married and moving in with her new husband, so I needed a place to stay. There was a flat I really wanted to move into, but the current tenant had five months left on their lease, so I had a bit of a wait. I didn't want to move back home, so when another friend offered a room in her house, I happily accepted. It was a small terraced house in a slightly run-down area, but the rent was cheap. It had a train station just around the corner, and it was only for a short time, so I settled in. It was a basic two up, two down. As you came up the stairs, the small bathroom was at the back of the landing. Then there was my bedroom in the middle and my friend's bedroom at the front of the house. Therefore, if my friend was in her room and needed the bathroom, she would have to pass my door to get to it. One night I was woken up by the sound of footsteps passing my door, which I assumed was my friend needing the loo. As I heard the steps going back past my door, I started to drift off to sleep. But then a few minutes later, I heard the footsteps again. This happened at least four times, with the steps going back and forth past my door. Growing a little concerned my friend might be ill, I started to get out of bed to check when the footsteps abruptly stopped. I waited for a bit and there was no further noise, so I went back to sleep. The next morning I joked with my friend that she looked well considering she had been up to the loo several times in the night. She gave me a puzzled look and said she never went to the loo after going to bed. I told her about the footsteps and she denied it was her. She seemed sincere and had no reason to lie, so I just dismissed it, thinking one of us was either dreaming or sleepwalking. At this point, I had been seeing my boyfriend for about six months and he stayed over a few times. A couple of nights after the footsteps incident, we went out and during the night I told him about what had happened and joked that my friend must be a sleepwalker without realising it. Rather than laughing like I thought he would... He gave me a funny look. When I asked him what was up, he confessed that something strange had happened the last time he had stayed over with me. Apparently, during the night, he'd woken up and needed a drink. My bed was pushed against the wall, and I slept on the outside so he was between me and the wall. He was just about to reach over me and grab the glass of water on my bedside table when he saw what appeared to be the figure of a man looking down at me sleeping. This made me shudder a little but what he said next literally turned me cold. 
My boyfriend said that he was only there for a few seconds. But from what he could make out, the man was almost naked. And as mad as it sounds, he looked a bit like Jesus. I had never told my boyfriend about what had happened when I was 17, so I did feel a little freaked out by this. However, apart from this sighting and the mysterious footsteps, nothing much more happened until near the end of my stay there. It was about two weeks before I was due to leave my friend's house and I had gone to my parents to see my dad for Father's Day. My dad had been suffering from heart problems for a few years, so we just stayed in and had a little meal and a few drinks in the house. Towards the end of the day I felt really reluctant to leave and my mum asked if I wanted to stay over. I felt a strong urge to spend the night but because I had worked the next day I needed to get home to get all my stuff ready so I decided to go. I arrived back home, got my things sorted, had a bath and went to bed. At this point I need to explain about the phones. Again this was before mobiles so we had two landlines in the house. One in the living room and the other was in my friend's bedroom. However, the ringer on the bedroom phone didn't work and from my bedroom I couldn't hear the downstairs phone so I wouldn't know there was a call unless I was in the living room or my friend told me. So here I was, after a nice day with my dad, in bed and fast asleep, when suddenly I was being shaken awake. Startled and a bit confused, I sat up in bed, switched on my light, expecting to see my friend standing there, but there was nobody else in my room and the door was closed. I looked at the time and it was 4.10am. After a minute of composing myself, I suddenly had a strong sense that the phone had been ringing. As I mentioned, I couldn't hear either phone, but the feeling was so strong that I felt compelled to go downstairs and check. This was 1995, when the 1471 facility had recently been introduced, so I dialed it, and sure enough there had been a call about 20 minutes earlier. I didn't recognise the number, but could tell that it was local. Now my friend was working as a barmaid at this point and worked erratic shifts. She would often get calls at all times of the day and night, therefore I assumed it was meant for her. However, I still felt a bit unsettled, not least by the feeling of being shaken awake, so I put the kettle on to make myself a calming cup of tea. No sooner had the water boiled, when there was a loud banging on the front door. Due to the hour, I was anxious about opening it, but then I heard my brother's voice shouting my name. Rather than easing my anxiety, this just sent it through the roof, as there is no happy reason for your brother to be banging on your door in the early hours. I was right. I opened the door to the news that my dad had suffered a heart attack and been rushed to hospital. They had tried calling me, but got no answer. The number on our phone was the hospital's number. I jumped in my brother's car and we sped off to the hospital, but it was too late. My dad had already died before we got there. He had passed away at 4.10am. After my dad died, I immediately moved back in with my mum to look after her and take care of things, as my dad was the one who sorted all the finances. I was too wrapped up in this and my own grief to dwell on the strange things that happened in my friend's house. It was only about a year later that I had cause to reflect on it. I hadn't seen my friend since I'd left the house and then one day I bumped into her. We stopped and chatted for a bit and during the course of the conversation she told me a curious little story. Not long after I left, her stepmom came for a visit with a friend who had never been to the house before. 
Apparently, this friend of her stepmom claimed to have some kind of medium psychic abilities. And after popping to the loo, she came downstairs and announced to my friend that there was a strong presence in the middle room upstairs. The middle room was the bedroom that I had slept in. Now, I am extremely sceptical about people who claim to have any kind of psychic ability and I don't know if my friend told this lady anything beforehand, so I mention this as a mildly interesting footnote. Make of it what you will. However, it did make me think about what happened in the house, the unexplained footsteps, the near-naked man my boyfriend had seen, who seemed to bear a strong resemblance to the one I had seen ten years previously. It made me think about the feeling of being physically shaken awake the night my dad died, even though I was alone in my room. And it made me remember the time it was when I woke up, 4.10am, the time displayed in red on my old digital alarm clock in 1985, the time my dad left us in 1995. But I didn't think on it too long, as real life has a way of bringing you back down to earth. I stayed with my mum for a while, helping her to adjust to a life without the man she had been with for over 40 years, which she did eventually in her own way. I went on to meet a new boyfriend who became my husband and we set up our home and family. Any thoughts of strange happenings had been pushed to a tiny corner at the very back of my mind and they remained there, quietly waiting, gathering dust, almost forgotten. And that is where the story should have ended, maybe. Except for one little random thing that happened about four or five years ago when I saw Richard Madeley on TV. Now, I would normally actively avoid watching Richard Madeley on TV, but he happened to be on a programme that I had on in the background while doing some housework, when something he said caught my attention and made the hairs on my neck stand right up. He was describing a night when he woke up and saw a black cloaked figure looming over his wife Judy who was asleep next to him. The way Richard described not only the physical appearance but the evil and the danger he felt from it was practically identical to what I had seen and felt when I saw that dark figure at the end of my bed when I was 17. An ice-cold shiver went through my whole body and the memory of what I saw replayed in my mind as clearly as the night it happened. See what I did there? I said memory of what I saw, not memory of what I dreamt. As I said at the beginning, my automatic reaction is to look for a rational explanation and usually find one when strange things happen. But lately I found myself thinking more about what happened over the course of those three nights when I was 17 and the subsequent events. I've had many vivid dreams over the course of my life, but they are usually forgotten in the cold light of day. However, I can still recall nearly every detail of what happened over those three nights, 38 years on and the way I felt. When I've thought I've stopped remembering, then something has happened to remind me again. Now, in my 50s, I still regard myself as a sceptic most of the time, but as I'm getting older, I find myself reflecting back on certain events and seeing a bigger picture, with connections that I didn't appreciate at the time. Writing this all down has also helped reinforce this. Oh, Cathy, I don't even know where to start with this story. So, first of all... Gosh, I remember the days of being in kind of the later years of secondary school and drinking all the time and having a great time. And I can only imagine that um, somebody at some point was like, let's get a Ouija board out, you know, and I'd be the same as you. I'd be like, yeah, I'll sit and watch you, but I'm not getting involved. 
I don't believe in it, but I equally don't want to get possessed and, you know, have my head spinning around and vomiting priests' faces. That's not really what I'm into. And on my initial reading of this, I sort of wondered if, like, maybe the alcohol and the kind of thought that you had done the Ouija board was enough to trigger a sleep paralysis episode, you know, after the first night. I know a friend of mine, alcohol, or if he was after having a particular heavy couple of days of drinking, it would trigger sleep paralysis for him. However, to have it three nights in a row, really vividly, three different, I don't know, what whatever we'll call them, apparitions as it were, and for one of them to appear again in later life, you know, for Jesus to appear again in later life, as we're going to call him. And I do think that, like I've said before, that if all of these things are explainable by sleep paralysis, why do people see the same thing when brains are so crazy and so varied and your brain can conjure up pretty much anything and everything? And why then would so many people see the exact same thing? So you and Richard Maidley. Uh, for those who don't know, Richard Maidley is like a TV presenter in England. I don't really know that much about him, only that he used to do a TV show with his wife called Richard and Judy. Um, So you, you've shared this experience with Richard Maidley. He's described the same thing that you experienced. Why would your two brains have create the same thing to be terrified of when you could literally conjure up anything in that moment to be terrified of? Like, is it possible that the Jesus-looking man that you saw that night when you woke up and that your boyfriend saw leaning over you, watching you sleep. Is it possible that that's something positive? Like some sort of guardian angel type thing? Like are there things that happen at night time that we're just not meant to wake up and see? That thought genuinely terrifies me. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is linked to the death of your dad. You know, 10 years later, the same time, 10 past four. I don't know if you remember if it was the same time of year. And we have talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how people being connected and knowing that something has happened at the time that a loved one has died without knowing that a loved one has died. I firmly believe that people have deep, deep, deep psychic maybe connections to loved ones that we can't scientifically understand sometimes. And I think, you know, sometimes it's okay to just accept that as being what it is and moving on. But Spider-Man Jesus has honestly baffled me. That was a great story, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Kelly, Katie and Kathy for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story comes from July the 1st, 2023. And if you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free and on that note i shall see you next time planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.